0: I'll be honest with you. Rodeo season is about to kick off, and I am not a rodeo guy, uh, but I do like good cowboy boots. And Takovas, well, they're all about rodeos, but you know what else they're about? Rock and roll. My best friend is a rock and roller. He's a guitarist. He wears these boots. It's awesome. Takovas believes in Western for all, and you can feel that when you go into their stores. When you walk in, you'll be greeted like family. Offered a boot shine and drinks, yes, even the hard stuff if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of boots. You can even get custom leather stamping or branding that'll make your boots truly one of a kind. Look up your closest store on Tacova's.com. If you can't make it into the store, Tacova's delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west as a special opportunity for our listeners. Tacovas has said that they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on Tacovas.com. Just use the code TRUCKS at checkout. That's T-R-U-C-K-S. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast, so there are always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter the code TRUCKS at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a
1: one-time gift from Tacovas. Only at tacovas
2: The biggest news this week is the introduction of the refreshed, and some may say all new. Is it all new? I think mostly. 2025 Ram 1500 truck lineup, including new engines. The V8 is gone. Mm -hmm. And also two electrified trucks.
0: That's right. Now, we have some amazing news for you guys, for listeners and those of you who are viewing. And that is we have a super deep dive where we're talking to the actual people who set these vehicles up. And Andre did the interviews.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, so in this podcast, TFL Talking Trucks will address some of your comments on Patreon. Uh huh. We will talk to two members of the engineering team at the Ram team, yeah. Ram truck team. Uh, Alan, who is responsible for, who was the chief engineer for the Hurricane engine program uh-huh. in the new pickup truck, and also Joe, who is the range extended electrified powertrain guy. Guys, this is huge
0: news because Rams going about this a completely different way. And they're doing things that we did not quite expect. So there's a lot of information coming at you real
2: soon. And also Nathan and I study these images. We we have some new stuff that we didn't have prior yes. uh, to this podcast. And we'll show you, we'll tell you our impressions of the chassis, the engines, the way they are positioned, and how they compare to some of the competitors. Absolutely. I'm struggling to call it all new because, for example, some of the cab is the same, Yeah. some of the interior components are the same. Mm-hmm. Not. It's not a bad thing, No. but it's not an all new vehicle that's just coming out. So
0: let's quickly summarize what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the Ram has pretty much a new body, uh, a redone interior, uh, all new platforms essentially, especially for the uh, electric and the... Oh, how do we call it, the generator-based? The range-extended one. Range-extended one. Yeah, we'll get to that yes. in a sec. Uh, but there's also what they, we call the SSTs, and I think we'll kick it off maybe there. And the yeah. SST means straight-six turbo.
2: Yep, exactly. So the nose is refreshed. So we did several videos already. We did a video on TFL Trucks' channel mm-hmm. about um, the uh, internal combustion power trucks, and the biggest news, like you said, was the straight-six Twin turbo, actually two turbos.
0: Yeah, but it's, it just says SST on their uh, little uh, label, and it's uh, not
2: SSTT. Ram, please put it second T. I'm I'm serious. <laughs> okay, well you heard it from okay. him. Okay, uh, but the the bigger news is that the V8 is gone. Right. So It is
0: completely gone. There is no more Hemi V8. We've already read some of your comments, by the way, on some of the posts we've already uh, created. And a lot of you are upset about the fact that the Hemi is gone. You know, oh, no more V8. I'll never touch one of those again. And I, I get it. Um, you know, V8s are cool and they sound amazing. And there are a lot of things to say about them. The 5.7 was a reliable engine. However, I want to point out something that's really important. Yeah. And that in on paper, at least, we haven't driven one yet, on paper... These straight six turbos absolutely outperform the Hemi 5.7 in every conceivable way. And I suspect that they'll be far more efficient. The only thing we don't know is the efficiency numbers. Yeah. But they didn't build these in a vacuum. They understood that they had to build these in order to be more efficient and cleaner. And I'm sure they are. So the bottom line is, am I hip to the idea of more power? Yes, I am.
2: Yeah, and of course we have to hear the new exhaust system to actually be really fu- make a final judgment, we, right?
0: We think we may have heard a little bit of it, but frankly speaking, that was somebody else shooting it, a third party, and we caught it on video. We have to hear it in person. I suspect it's going to sound similar to a mix between, say, a BMW and a uh, Ford EcoBoost.
2: Well, we have a little bit of a preview in it because uh, of it, uh, because Roman about a year ago maybe a year and a half ago, he drove the Grand Wagoneer yeah. with a straight six twin turbo. This this basically almost the same engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the only differences are the, really the lengths of the chassis, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the difference between the Grand Wagoneer and the truck.
0: I'm pretty sure that they're dialed in for different type of exhaust note too and stuff like
2: that. Exactly. Yeah, well, that yeah, has it has to do with versus, the length of the system yeah. as well. And also the power outputs is slightly different mm-hmm. as well. That's right. But at least Roman had a taste uh, of, this, of this power plant. And actually you and I, I mean – I've asked for a Grand Wagoneer from Jeep several times, but we still don't have our hands on one. Yeah, the only one they gave us was a little over a year ago, and that
0: was That with was the a big, big
2: burly yeah, 6.4, right? that was
0: right? the 6.4, which they're still building, at least for right now. Yeah. Uh, so that is an option, but we're not talking about that vehicle right now.
2: Yeah, but I also, in this podcast, uh, on this episode of TFL, talking trucks, I want to um, bring in some competition, right, and talk about a little bit more how the new Ram compares to Ford and GM trucks, and even Toyota Tundra. That's correct. Now,
0: I would say, personally speaking, if I were looking for a direct competitor, it would be Ford. And the reason why is because... because <laughs> sorry, long day. Uh, because Ford has an all-battery electric... F-150. They also have a hybrid F-150. He used to own one. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they have several different twin turbocharged V6 versions of their F-150. Plus, they still have a V8. And I do they still have the base model V6?
2: No, that's now gone. Okay, so uh, that is gone. 2024 model year. So this is interesting because big
0: news. Ram is keeping their base model V6, so the Pentastar V6 actually lives on in more than one way, too. And we will get to that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's the 3.6 Pentastar. Yeah. Um, Man, that thing won't go away. And I, I think it's really a value play for them, right? i because, sure of it. Because, yes, we can get excited about the new Ram Rebel. We can get excited about something they call the RHO. So No idea. Uh, uh, actually, I have one tiny bit of information I can share. Okay. Um but where was I going with this? Oh, uh Tim Kuniskus, yes. the CEO of the Ram brand yes. North America. Uh he also said that TRX is completely not out of the picture. But he said maybe sometimes someday it will come.
0: That's exactly how he said it. So we saw a presentation video, and at a certain point in the video when he was talking about other trucks and you know, da-da-da-da. He suddenly
2: said, and maybe in the future. So he didn't close the door on the next-gen TRX, but he also didn't provide any detail or any timing. Which is no uh, surprise.
0: And by the way, we have an older video that came out about a month ago, I suppose, uh, where we're following what we think is a replacement for the TRX, and we think it has a straight-six in it of some sort. Could very well be a hybrid straight-six. That's a whole different ball of wax. So let's get back to this. Let's talk about power.
2: Yeah, totally. So... The we don't know exactly the pentastar numbers yet. I'm assuming it's about the same as, would, be those, as before. Yeah. The only thing that could change on the uh, 3.6 uh, first internal combustion engine for the ice truck is the emission control systems, right? Mm. Because the emissions are getting a little bit tighter and tighter and tighter. So that could affect the power output just maybe one or two or three horsepower. Do
0: you know if they're keeping the e torque system?
2: They said they are. Okay. Yeah. So that will help them with the efficiency and emissions part of that. Because it's start-stop system, basically. So when you come to a stop, the engine would shut down, and the electric motor will help you kind of get going. Just a little
0: tiny bit, yeah. But, I mean, if they think it's effective enough to keep, you know, after their pretty big investment into the thing, we haven't seen a a great deal of change with it being used in the 5.7. But perhaps they've uh, done some reworking. We don't know yet. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. All right, so that vehicle or that that engine, that powertrain most likely will be paired to an 8-speed automatic transmission. And it looks like, other than the electric versions of this vehicle, that the 8-speed is coming back as well. And is that a ZF? Uh Uh-huh.
2: Yep. Yeah, uh, they didn't say otherwise. Mm -hmm. And they've been using a ZF uh, 8-speed transmission for many years. It's been successful for them. And it's been a very reliable um, transmission. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned about reliability of the 5.7 Hemi, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a kind of a humorous comment i noticed in in one of our debut videos okay where they said well no more hemi tick you know after about a hundred thousand miles a lot of these engines they report the tick yeah uh, the tick so yes we know uh i mean all trucks have issues after a while yeah so what issues will be with the new twin turbos nobody knows but First of all, it's already in the Grand Wagoneer, like we said. So they already have customer feedback and customer, Mm -hmm. you know. And they put it under
0: strain with regular driving. So by the time the engine is in the new Ram, it'll be technically the, you know, what, three years perhaps after. Or two
2: years after they started building this engine. Right, right. So it's not like it's coming off the shelf, right, you know, first thing. An all brand new engine. Yeah.
0: This will have had some miles on it. And so perhaps if there are issues, they'll be able to address them. Now, here's the good news. This is an all new engine. This is from the ground up, everything from the crank, the bearings, everything else, all new. It's not based on anything else that they have. It's not old inventory. And initially when they built this engine, they said that it would have a provision to where it could work with a hybrid system. And I suspect it would be similar to something that Ford already has, where they sandwich an electric motor between the transmission and the gas engine. We don't know because they haven't let out any details on this yet. And that could be a more powerful variant or it could be a future variant. We don't know. But what we do know is that right now there are two different versions of the SST.
2: Very short notice, I'm able to get a hold of Alan from the Ram team. And Alan, could you please introduce yourself?
3: Andre, I'm the uh, chief engineer for the Hurricane family of engines.
2: Sweet. And um, so you are um, on the design team. You're the chief engineer for the three liter straight six engines for this new truck. Um, and one of the big questions we have from our audience is, of course, as as with any new vehicle. Right. And any new powertrain is, first of all, is it truck worthy? Is it reliable? What makes it so? So can you kind of give me a a walkthrough of the new turbocharged engine um, setup here?
3: Certainly. Um, So from the very beginning, these were intended to be truck engines. It wasn't an adaptation of a passenger car engine. And in order to, or recognizing the the requirements for the trucks, we, from the very beginning, established the objectives to be durable for truck type of applications, as you might see in the pictures here, Um, and that led to inclusion of characteristics that make them durable. Right. This is a family of engines. We've got some common parts, but we also have unique parts for the uh, high output and standard output versions of the engine. and in order to make them as rugged as possible, we included certain characteristics and features I can um, tell you a little bit about here. When you, you know talk about a um, adorable engine, right, it starts with the, the cylinder block. And what we have is a, an aluminum block, but we're using a sand cast process, which allows us to create what's uh, called a closed deck architecture full screen here for you it'll be a little easier to see okay but the closed deck architecture as soon as this comes up there you go up here the cylinder liner is attached to the outside walls of the block and this closed deck architecture makes the block very stiff makes it very durable Um, in addition on the bottom end we have a forged steel crankshaft right got cross bolted steel main bearing caps forged steel connecting rods and on the high output version of the engine we're using forged aluminum pistons so these are all rock-solid very rugged components that are up to meeting the um, durability requirements that we have set for our vehicles but we also um, subjected the engines to our most aggressive Engine-level tests, and
2: I've got a video here that shows just how aggressive those tests are. All right, let's. That's very very cool. So for those people who are not able to watch this but are listening to it um, it's actually you were showing kind of a dyno room right and also it's not just an engine dyno it's also a almost like a three-dimensional gimbal where the engine is sitting in this cradle right and you're you're rocking it up and down and sideways while you're actually revving the engine pretty high
3: that's as high as it goes that's right we so we're simulating um aggressive um maneuvers that are subjecting the oil, engine oil to you know, different modes of operation or different angles of inclination, um, all the while the engine is running up near peak power, right and at the times at peak power. So it's a very aggressive test um, that only um,
2: emphasizes that, yeah, we tested this to the extremes. Yeah. And can you give me a little bit of background, right? so. As far as I understand from my, what, 11 years in the industry is, you know, straight six, I mean, it's a very good orientation already, right? So, it's, it's kind of, it allows, it's not a V8 or a V6 orientation. Can you talk a little bit of the history or, you know, why is a straight six engine maybe better than others?
3: For sure. And um, that's certainly, you know, some of the characteristics that we wanted to imbue the engine with are shown here. Whoops. it's not um, here we go um, we wanted to provide the um, hardware and uh, the vehicles um, to, we wanted them to have more power and torque right we wanted them to have uh, improved fuel economy with equal or better acceleration and we wanted them to have high levels of refinement so we set about um, establishing objectives that the power and torque levels need to be greater than any of the naturally aspirated V8 engines that are out there in the light truck segment, right? We know our customers love their V8s, but we needed to give them a reason for why they would um, I'm to say they're going to prefer, but once they experience this engine, they'll say, wow, it's better than the V8s that we had. Um, and more power and torque than any of the natural aspirated V8s was one of the objectives that we set, and also more power than torque than any of our competitors in the segment. Um, So we established that. We achieved that objective. Um, And I'm going to get back to your point about a six-cylinder, right? An inline six-cylinder is perfectly balanced. As a result, there's no secondary forces inducing vibration. V8's pretty smooth. An inline six-cylinder is perfectly smooth. There's no vibration. And when you experience this engine in the vehicle, I think you'll, you'll find that's the case. Um, you can have the engine at idle, parked, and you won't even be aware that the engine is running. So, improving on the smoothness and the refinement was one of the objectives, and having an inline six-cylinder allows us to achieve that.
2: Yeah, that's and um, your high output, I want to touch on this point you kind of already have a slide for, is the difference between the standard output and the high output. Because uh, initially, I mean, they're both twin turbocharged engines, correct? Correct. Um, And both of the turbos, first of all, I wanted to get a little bit more detail on how the turbochargers are mounted to this engine. And also they're not the same engine with different tuning, right? I mean, there's a lot of hardware parts that also come along with it. Sure, so let me tell you about
3: mean by that is the turbocharger is fed from three cylinders and in a four stroke engine when you put three cylinders on a turbocharger they are perfectly spaced and because they're perfectly spaced you can recover the maximum amount of energy which is what the purpose of a turbocharger is As you add more and more cylinders onto the turbocharger They start to get overlap on the exhaust events, and you're not able to recover as much energy. So we've got the ideal architecture. Each turbo is fed by three cylinders on a six-cylinder engine. That means we've got two turbos, right? And splitting the work between two turbochargers allows us to make them smaller, have lower inertia, and with our electrically actuated wastegates, eliminate turbocharger lag. So... We recognized that we wanted to have the ideal situation for the turbos on this boosted engine, and we were able to achieve that by using two turbos. Um, Your point about the hardware being unique, this page here shows you that we do have a number of common parts, but we also have unique parts in order to have each engine achieve their objectives. On the high output, right? we wanted to maximize the power. So we made some changes to Um, some of the components to achieve that. Turbos are different. The charge air cooler is a little bit bigger to um, reject the increased heat that is generated by the bigger turbochargers. Um, On the standard output, we really wanted to maximize the fuel economy on this, so we included on it a what we call full range EGR system. Uh, this allows us to flow EGR over just about the entire operating range of a vehicle. EGR is a good way to improve upon the fuel economy. So the standard output version of the engine has this EGR system.
1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
2: And it stands for exhaust gas recirculation, if if people are not familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, and also you talked about standard output versus high output. Uh, Another important factor is the octane level of the fuel, right? So you talked about efficiency, but also um, the standard output is able to run on, what, 89 or 87 octanes.
4: Mm-hmm. Which means, in order to get the full output of the engine
3: um, to the power and torque levels that someone might need under, say, towing conditions, or you know, if they want maximum acceleration, then premium fuel allows you to achieve that. Okay. The same is true for the high-output version of the engine. Um, both engines, however can operate on lower octane fuels. We have knock um, sensors on those. We recognize that not under all conditions would customers be using um, premium fuels. So they can operate on less than premium, but in order to get the performance levels that
2: they're rated at, and the ratings are done with premium fuel. Can you explain it a little bit further because um, Specifically, I mean, this is the case for turbocharged motors, right? And it has to do with compression and some other elements of the of the engine, right? Sure. So um, a turbocharged
3: engine is basically able to stuff more air into the cylinder, right? The, the turbocharger recovers energy from the exhaust, and it pushes air into the cylinder. Um, as a result, when the piston compresses the air, it compresses it to higher pressures and temperatures than if it was just naturally aspirated and fuel will at the you know once you get the higher pressures and temperatures it could spontaneously ignite so the octane rating of a fuel is really a measure of its resistance to that self-ignition and because you're boosting an engine because you have higher um, pressures and temperatures in the cylinders um, you'll get better performance by having the higher octane fuels.
2: Under, understood. Yeah, thank you. And um, I'm, I wanted to mention this. So you showed some of the numbers on the screen on, on the horsepower outputs. So 420 horsepower and 469 pound-feet of torque is the standard 3-liter hurricane. And then the high output is 540 horsepower and 521 pound-feet of torque. And by the way, 540 you mentioned it being more than any other current v8 which is true um I, I mean i'm talking about you know naturally aspirated v8s right but yeah for the truck segment, yep. yeah, the truck segment. but also that's a lot of horsepower per liter i mean oh, i mean is. this is this is very dense i mean this is like 180 horsepower per liter good lead in. you're a great straight man here because this grand-
3: boosted engines, when you look at their specific power, the 3-liter by itself is above the competition, and the high output is well above the competition. So both of these engines are benchmark levels of specific output
2: in this truck segment. And um, do you have, I don't know if you have detailed graphs about like the torque curve, can you talk a little bit about that? Because, I mean, turbocharged engines are good at lower end torque, uh, obviously. Uh, but you, you said you tried to eliminate or you eliminated turbo, turbo lag. Uh, well, I still need to drive these engines, you know, these trucks uh, to, to figure this out. But, uh, but how soon can you get that, you know, the most of this torque? 500 RPM. Okay. Okay. And the standard output
3: achieves it. Um, oh my gosh! I missed it here. I have
2: to find it for you. I believe it's 2500 RPM. Really? So it's that it's that low. It's under 3000. Could potentially. I'll, I'll confirm that.
3: Okay. okay. Let's double check the file that I have for some reason blank
2: but I, I, I know I had another version that had it so I apologize I will get it for you. That's okay I mean but the point I'm trying to understand is like you're saying the, the acceleration should be linear because if you don't have you know almost any turbo lag right it's supposed to be a linear acceleration and also there's a lot of torque very early on right? There is and I can tell you from, from, from driving um, these
3: engines uh, and comparing it the, let's say the the torqueiness and how it feels and how it responds actually is better. It, it feels um, like you'll have the torque come on sooner. It pulls consistently. It pulls longer. Um, in order to make um, peak torque numbers on a naturally aspirated engine, the torque curve itself is not flat, right? It's continually rising, and it peaks at a higher speed, and you sense
2: that whenever you drive the vehicle's. Gotcha. And then finally, um, we have just a couple of minutes left. Um, I I was looking at the chassis, right, the the rolling chassis um, example. And I I noticed, obviously, you said each turbocharger for the three cylinders, right? And then you have unique exhaust pipes, right? You have catalytic converters. And then they're actually going dual all the way down the side of the truck. So so I I think that's pretty interesting. That's kind of cool. For sure. In
3: order to get these kind of specific power numbers, we had to have exhaust systems that have low, what we call back pressure, low restriction. Um, And we accomplished that by having, um, you know, a catalytic converter for each turbocharger for each of the three cylinders. And that continues on um,
2: through the rest of the exhaust system. Well, uh, did we hit most of the points, I think? I think so.
3: One of the other things that we have um, on the um, fuel injectors and the fuel system is um, we wanted to achieve uh, low emissions levels, right? Um, And that has two forms. Let me uh, share my screen again here for you. Emissions come in what most people are familiar with, which is CO2, carbon dioxide. And that's really a measure of the fuel economy so improving the fuel economy um, lowers the CO2 emissions but in order to make the fuel economy as best as it can be we need to have the engine as efficient as possible and so what we've done is um, for the combustion system it's a essentially mounted direct fuel injector and it operates at 350 bar allowing it to finely atomize the fuel droplets And when we do that, we lower the tailpipe emissions, the particulates and such, but we also make the engine as efficient as possible. So the fuel system plays a big role in the uh, efficiency level of the engine as well as uh, its ability to reduce both um, tailpipe emissions and, and CO2 greenhouse gas causing emissions.
2: And there's a lot of detail there, right? How you design the piston, the top of the piston, right? And also the top of the chamber, the top of the cylinder. Thousands of hours of
3: computational fluid dynamics simulation to optimize um, both the airflow in and around
2: the cylinder, as well as the fuel spray. Is the top kind of circular? Uh, It's hard to see in this animation. Uh, it's mostly flat. There's some cutouts here for the valves. Those are the valve pockets. Okay. Gotcha. Well, very cool. I cannot wait, uh, well, to get my hands on this truck and also drive it. So I really appreciate it, Alan. All right. Yeah, the, the high output, I'll tell you, um,
3: you'll be amazed in a truck how well it performs. I don't think anybody will uh, have any... Um, uh second
2: thoughts about having a v8 or not having a v8 once you drive it you'll just be amazed really cool i appreciate it to show you um guys if you're watching us on youtube thank you tfl talk channel yeah if you're just listening to us also thank you thank you so much Uh, we really appreciate it and as always uh we do thank you for your support on patreon.com patreon.com slash tfl car is where you can support us um any sort of donation. We're not asking for anything really, but it's a good way to get a hold of us. It is a great way to because get a hold we of us. Pay attention to it every day.
0: And you'll have a direct answer, not only an email, but we'll usually take your questions and put them right here on the podcast as well.
2: So there's a one question from Gage uh, Chappelle. If I mispronounce your name, I apologize. Uh, this question appears to be related to Genesis car vehicles. Oh. So this is not really part of this podcast. No. But maybe you guys can address it in your podcast. So, Len, what,
0: yeah, send it over and Roman and I will answer this question. Uh,
2: there's another question from, uh, I'm assuming it's a gentleman uh, named Gassy Peepers. You said that with a straight face. That's awesome. Sorry. Uh, so Gassy is asking, um, he was listening or... This person was listening to our recall Uh podcast. Remember, we did a special show about recalls. Yeah. Um, So. uh, As he's reading. Thank you. No, no, no. They they just said they listened to it and they appreciated oh. that oh, so, okay. that episode. So, so that, was, really that was that was a thank that. you
0: for the episode. Yes. Okay. Well, it's our pleasure. Now, if you haven't seen that episode, what we did is we covered not all the recalls. There's far too many to re- to go over. But we covered many of the larger ones. We talked about what the differences could be. And in that broadcast that we put out there, we also mentioned that there's you know resources for you guys if you have questions about recalls specifically about your vehicle, where you can go, what websites you can go to, and whatnot. So I highly recommend that video if you have any questions about recalls. And yes, they may seem like they're more prevalent than they've ever been in the past, but frankly, one of the things that's happening is because of social media and the lightning speed of the modern interwebs, things like problems with vehicles seem to go to the NHTSA much, much quicker. And then they signal out to people who've owned these vehicles much, much quicker. Because back in the day, I remember getting notices 20 years ago, which came in the mail. And that could take weeks, if not months, to sometimes get to people. So things, have very, in a good way, have changed in terms of how you guys get these messages. So let's continue back to what we're looking at here. For those of you who are listening, we're looking at a chassis. And this chassis looks really, really cool.
2: Yeah, and this is the uh, Hurricane chassis, basically showing the three-liter straight-six engine. And I I noticed a couple things. By the way, this is on tfltruck.com as well. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see our other coverage, check out altfl.com. altfl.com. So what I noticed, Nathan, right off the bat, uh, we're basically looking at the frame with the powertrain installed and the suspension installed Mm -hmm. um, in this frame. I noticed on the straight-six... So it's a six-cylinder. Right. But there are two turbochargers. You can kind of see them in the front. And both of them have their own exhaust systems. Okay. And it looks like there are two cats, so catalytic converters. And the two cats, I'm assuming they're up here near the front of the vehicle, Mm -hmm. are kind of tucked in and hidden basically by the firewall of the cab. Yeah, and then it it
0: looks like they loop down underneath the transmission.
2: And then... Dual, true dual system, so it's not a fake dual. <laughs> no, and it looks like it goes,
0: what are those?
2: It dumps into uh what? Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, that's the air suspension, I believe. Okay,
0: that's air, I was, what, I was like, what are those pipes? Okay, uh, sorry, it I wasn't able like, to
2: see this picture particularly well. It looks like cylinders for air. That makes sense. Uh, it does have air suspension.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, Ram was one of the first to introduce air suspension all four corner uh, in a... Uh, half-ton pickup truck, yeah. and they are definitely keeping that up. You're going to see a lot
2: more of that in the future. And it's kind of been their kind of signature, right? It's been their thing. Yeah, and also, of course, many of you will ask, well, how reliable or durable is their sus- suspension systems? Well, we see you know, Land Rovers from the past collab- with collapsed suspensions. Mm-hmm. We see some other vehicles like older GM SUVs. Like the envoys, i seen or, some
0: Jaguars with some interesting things going on too.
2: Yeah, there's some Ford or Lincoln vehicles from back in the day. Yeah, but you know, Ram has had, as far as I know, pretty good track record with their suspension system.
0: I got a chance to speak to this guy. He he doesn't. He's not there anymore. This is years ago when Roman and I went to uh, the proving grounds, and when they were showing. The air suspension for the heavy duties when they were just introducing oh, yes. that, uh-huh. and he was explaining that the components that they're using are far more robust than they have been in the past. As such, he expects a much much longer shelf life, and you know he says that he said that the type of punishment that they would subject them to is far more severe than anything that we could possibly imagine. Of course, they're going to say that because marketing, but. I do agree with him because I looked at that and I've looked at things from Firestone and some other companies. And the air suspension setup they have, at least the the billows that are actually, you know, expanding and contracting, those things look like they're beefy, beefy. So, you know, take it either way that you want to take it. You don't have to get that either. In many cases, at least currently, mm-hmm. you can get a coil spring.
2: Yeah, um, which costs less. Yes. And also rides pretty well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good compromise. We, we had it on our Ram Rebel 2019 model way back in the day. We were one of the first to buy a Ram Rebel. Yes. Actually, that was, um, that was new a new generation of
0: That it. was a really good truck. Um, and until I ruined it? Uh, yeah, until we, 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 no. we did some. Well, no, we didn't ruin it. We, 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 uh, it's we, a we, long story. Yeah, it's a long story. Anyway, the point is is that, um, yeah, so that is still out there. But with these trucks and what we're looking at here, if you look at the back of it, for those of you who are listening, there's these two cylinders that almost look like pipes going to the exhaust system, which is why I was confused. But that makes sense those are actual air containers for the um, compressor that or from the compressor yeah. that allows and, them to
2: yeah. and even on the like jeep grand cherokees mm-hmm. they have a similar design well not the same size but yeah. a similar design of the air suspension and they keep talking they're improving like the time it takes to inflate or deflate so you can adjust it a little bit quicker if you wanted to um, but i uh, i wanted to continue a little bit with the Exhaust system, by the way, the standard output engine is 420 horsepower mm-hmm. and 469 pound-feet of torque, which is already significantly more than the V8, the outgoing one. Yeah, and uh, that's,
0: that's the entry-level turbo.
2: Yeah, this is like the standard engine that's probably going to be in the most volume of the Ram 1500 trucks. Right. Um, you know, catalytic converter theft has been a big deal recently sure has um so moving the catalytic converters closer to the engine does two things as Mm. far as my weak brain can understand is first of all it's hotter there yeah so it's easier for emissions right because it's it's based on heat right that's right um, and also it protects it from theft.
0: yeah, that's an interesting thought. I, I don't know if that's what they were thinking at the time, but that well, is a it's a side effect. It's a side effect, but it, that is a really good point. Uh, I know somebody in Los Angeles who has a uh, old forerunner and somebody went in there with a hacksaw took that thing off in minutes, too, because oh, he yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, so it is a real thing that theft is is an issue. But in this case, yeah, it certainly looks like it would be harder to get to. Of course, I'm sure some thieves are out there like, yes, challenge accepted. And they're going to go and find a way.
2: Well, then you would have to... They'd have to really get in there, though. Gosh, even pop the hood. But now you're talking about breaking into the vehicle yeah, itself. That, and suddenly, and, yeah, and suddenly... And starting to work on that. And that's not gonna be easy I highly
0: recommend you go to tfltruck.com and look at this particular image and see what we're talking about because I don't know maybe that's an issue for you I think about theft all the time and I it's something that worries me constantly so I'm sure that some of you guys might be in the same uh, state of mind as such have a look at this see what you think but let's continue because now we're gonna talk about the hoe
2: Uh, you mean high output Yes, high output. so 540 horsepower and 520 pound-feet of torque that is huge (laughs) Yes. And as far as I know, and actually I reached out to Ram, we will have an opportunity to actually interview several um, subject matter experts, some engineering members of the engineering team about the powertrains. I also want to talk about the entire chassis Mm -hmm. and also design. Of course, it will take days or weeks to collect all this information because there's many people involved in this. But as far as I know, they're using different turbochargers, so it's the hardware is actually different, right? From standard output to high output, it's not like just a tune that they flash, um, and get that going.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if uh, if the internals are a little bit different as well, it, which we'll find out yeah. soon enough.
2: And actually, a lot several of your comments on our previous debut video are talking about internals and and quality and strength.
0: Yeah, uh, there was one that really ticked me off. You go ahead, and I'll, I'll mention it.
2: What, what okay, did, what so
0: what out? happened was, there was a comment that said something to the effect of uh, Ford's EcoBoost is better made. That yeah, was that there was, was the a bla- that yeah. was the blanket comment, and I looked at that. Now, look, I totally dig the EcoBoost system; I think it's great. But how do you know? Who the hell told you about this in advance? Because I- we sure as hell don't know. Uh, and we're like right there with the engineers talking to them. So when these blanket statements come out, I know there are fanboys out there on both sides, and I'm sure somebody else is like uh, the, the little the, the, the four cylinder from the Chevy's even better.
2: Okay, so, so let us know um, if you do know the metals involved and the, the materials and, and how materials. much how
0: the shavings are after being used for 100,000 hundred thousand. So miles
2: let away. us like, know, please, please, please comment. Yeah, but
0: on the other side of it, if you're just going to throw out a blanket statement like that, don't be surprised if you're going to be held to task. I mean, come on.
2: Really? Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, and, and I want to give, you know, Ram and Stellantis, They get you know jokes thrown at them all uh, every day, all day long. Yeah. But I just want to point out the three six Pentastar V six has been really reliable. I mean, when it's they not act- perfect, there no. have been some issues. Oil when they do engines, yeah. You know they you know they work things out and they actually have some actually award-winning power plants. That's true. And there's engineers in Detroit. Uh, we know some of them, you know, journalists who study engines. Right. And they give out awards for best designs. And Stellantis has a lot of them. Yep. So there you have it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's easy enough just to point at someone and say, oh, your, your stuff is crap or whatever. And somebody else will say, oh, this is awesome. And a really good example of that is Toyota, by the way. And Toyota's not perfect. I know, I know Toyota fanboys, they are perfect to you. But we've personally experience some issues with some of their engineering so even the mighty toyota they do have their flaws speaking of toyota uh, we were talking about how we're going to compare some of these powertrains so maybe we start with toyota because they do have a twin turbocharged v6 and they do have a hybrid twin turbocharged v6 taking a page out of ford's book in fact they even have a 10-speed automatic transmission
2: yeah so what hybrids are really great at in Ford's and Toyota's case, actually, is torque. Yes. Right, because you're combining electric torque with gasoline torque, and the total number becomes huge. For example, in Toyota's case, it's 583 uh, pound-feet of torque. Which is extraordinary. Uh, Almost 600. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. So so this inline-six will not reach that torque by itself, and I I didn't really expect it to, right? Mm. Even 540 high output... Dude, that's a lot of power per liter.
0: That is a lot of power that's... per liter, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, what the video that we saw with Tim Kniskis showed that even the new um,
2: Dodge, uh, whatchamacallit? Oh, the Challenger Demon 170, yeah. fancy name.
0: Yeah, running on alcohol, supercharged. In terms of power per liter, technically speaking, the three liter high output is considered more powerful yes. that's that's according to them that was their words not mine
2: yeah and i mean it does come out to about 180 horsepower per liter of displacement so this is up there i mean i know mercedes has some small turbocharged engines with really high density power silly high numbers um yeah. and some exotic car makers have that too sure but in the pickup truck <laughs> having this much power per liter it's Pretty much unheard of.
0: And there's something reassuring about having a straight six. Many, many people in the truck community will agree that some of the most reliable, older gas engines out there... And diesel engines. And diesel, but gas engines, I'm specifically talking because it's a gas engine, uh, were straight sixes. And one of the most successful engines currently being built by General Motors is a diesel straight six. And And that's our opinion, granted, but I think many people agree, and they've won a ton of awards for good reason. So... How does this powertrain lineup compare against Ford? Well, there's two powertrains we haven't talked about yet.
2: Yeah, so for example, most Fords have the 3.5 EcoBoost V6 twin turbo, Mm -hmm. and that's 400 horsepower and 500 pound-feet of torque. So that's
0: directly competing against the regular SST.
2: Yeah, so that's the SST. 420 horsepower has a little bit more horsepower, mm-hmm. but 469 pound-feet of torque is less torque. Yep. So I think we need to put them side by side at a, our airport drag strip. Absolutely. And actually see what's what.
0: And we'll tow against them and all that stuff. I know you guys. Some of you guys are like, "Oh, I hate a drag race," even though I'll watch it. Um. <laughs> so, but but wait, there's there's so much more because Ford, as I mentioned before, they have a proper hybrid, which we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah. And the Ram currently does not. But RAM is on the cusp of introducing, well, technically, they've introduced it to us, a range extending battery electric vehicle. So, in a sense, it's similar to a hybrid in terms of you put gas in it and the engine will power a battery but the big difference between say hybrids like a, a toyota a prius or whatever is that there is no mechanical connection between the engine and the running gear so the engine in this case it's a pentistar once again they're using it for you know like they like it mm-hmm. is essentially a generator and it's going to be generating power running to the batteries and it's a 92 kilowatt hour battery right and only the batteries will be powering the wheels. And there's a disconnect. So you can actually disconnect the front end. It's because it's all wheel drive. So there's an electric motor in the front, electric motor in the back. Was it
2: 250 watts? 250 kilowatt kilowatts? each. Yeah, kilowatt each. Um,
0: and so it'll disconnect for better efficiency. But the range is something incredible. They're quoting like 690 miles?
2: Yes. yes. Damn. With this range extending generator. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And when I heard that number, I know they threw out seven hundred miles in some of their documents a couple of years ago when they, you know, had their vision for the future. Right. And I was like, eh. That's but, pretty close. But, but they backed it up, six ninety.
0: Yeah, and this is what they've they've announced, and this is what we're announcing to you through them. So in the real world
2: it could differ, right? It so could even in the be world, higher. Could be higher or Depending on driving conditions, right. it could be lower, right, or load how much weight you have in the bed or whatever.
0: Yeah, but they're also quoting that you can. Um, what was it? Uh, Fourteen thousand pounds towing
2: for the electric version. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's... which is cute, actually, and that converted a couple of skeptics. I was. Did you read the comments? Some I, of I, them. I said, brushed
0: over them. Usually, if you guys are using complicated words, it's too difficult for me, oh, so I'll just no, keep no, on going no, no. until no, I no, see no. something that has dirty words.
2: No. Um, no, no. Some of the skeptics said, uh, I was going to glance over it, but 14,000 towing makes me pay attention. So actually, that's a number that catches people's eye.
0: And I think that this is exactly what Ram wants to do. See, unlike Ford, and, and Ford has a much more traditional setup, which, once again, Andre owned. And that is, it's a gas engine. It has an electric motor in between the gas engine and... And then the transmission. So the gas engine is feeding all four wheels. The electric motor helps with that and assists with both charging a battery on board and also running the vehicle, making it move. So it adds power, adds efficiency. There are some of the numbers that Andre was getting in stop and go traffic were quite good. However, as highway mileage, eh, not so great. Um, but he also had an in-bed, uh, an inverter, basically, so he could, was it 7 watts? 7.2 kilowatts. 7.2 C- kilowatt, kilowatts, yeah. God, I just, the kilowatts and the watts, I'm still screwing that up in my you head. Could I'm say tired.
2: gigawatt.
0: Gigawatt, that's great. Yeah. Um, so this system that Ram is talking about with their, and this is the Ram charger we're talking about. This isn't even the REV. The REV is their all-battery electric vehicle, which we haven't even gotten to yet. Yeah. However, the our, the Ram Charger has a smaller battery, which makes sense. Lithium ion. I don't know what the chem if it's an LFP or not. I, yeah, they haven't announced that.
2: I think we'll have to talk to the specialist. Yeah. That, that built it.
0: Yeah, and it, this may be something TBD. You know what I mean? It, it could be maybe well, it's they're still hoping a year for away. Exactly. Maybe yeah. they're hoping for solid state. Who knows? Um, but what we do know is that this type of setup is. On a unique frame, and it is part of the STLA family, which this is a large frame, very similar to Ford, but just a different configuration in terms of how it's set up, where the battery is there and it's sandwiched between frame rails. So it's a proper frame for a truck, and then you have an electric motor up front with an axle. You have an electric motor in the back with an axle. It's actually acting as an axle. And in addition to all this, that rear axle can work as a locker as well, according to Ram.
2: Yeah, optionally, which is great. Mm-hmm. Because in our experience, after testing uh, every new pickup truck, uh, virtual lockers can be problematic. They can, right? yeah. And by virtual locker, I mean, if you have two electric motors, you can synchronize them or use some sort of a, you know, traction control system. Right. But nothing actually beats a mechanical locking differential. One that works Yes.
0: too, by the way, because we've, we've had a locker before that didn't work. <laughs> Hummer. Um, but uh, we've also, we, we've we sampled a variety of different ones. And that's including the Rivian. And frankly, nothing's quite measured up to our expectations. That's including the Ford uh, F-150 Lightning. Uh, so perhaps this Ram in some version will be very capable off-road. We don't know. Um, here's an interesting thing about all of these versions before we get to the battery one. Um, they will have very similar trim levels. and so this is something Ford has done as well. So uh, there's a nutrient level called the tungsten. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting word. Let I me love.
2: actually let me bring it up. Uh, so if you're watching, uh, you can see a little bit of some clips behind us.
0: Mm-hmm. So there is a clip of the tungsten. Um, you know, maybe it's your flavor of coffee, not mine necessarily. Just you know, uh,
2: don't some people have like tungsten wedding rings? Or something?
0: Yeah, or, or nose piercings. Okay. I think there's the same thing, too. Okay. If you have one, you have the other. Um, I, You know, platinum now, tungsten. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> whatever you guys want. My, my issue is actually just aesthetics, uh, and that's completely subjective, and we'll go over that some other time. Uh, but the tungsten is their absolute top-of-the-line luxury model. Every conceivable little goodie is in there. And it's not just available with the internal combustion engine, it's available with the other two, I believe. They're going to have a tungsten version.
2: Yeah, so that's also surprised me that RAM is actually will have almost a full range of trim levels with each powertrain. So we talked about... The, the internal combustion powertrains, right. the all battery electric rev, they call it REV, mm-hmm. um, and also the Ram Charger, which is the range extended one. Right. They're going to have a tradesman, at least the tradesman, the Bighorn, the Laramie, the Limiteds, and the Tungstons. Um, the Rebel will be, as far as we know, only um, internal combustion. Right now. Right
0: now. And I suspect one of the reasons why the Rebel uh, isn't currently going to be with the battery electric or the range extender is because the four-wheel independent suspension. Mm, yeah. That, because, the you know, the it's... Rebel is their most off-road worthy of the ones that were currently out there. And, you know, having an articulating solid rear axle is far better than having four-wheel independent suspension off-road. We all know this. So I'm thinking that that might be the reasons why they don't have a Rebel version, which is kind of a shame because out of all the designs that are out there, at least for my own personal taste, I think the Rebel is probably the better looking of all the designs. And
2: I think it's it has to do with also the Tungsten does not have a separate bumper. And you and I are used to pickup trucks... That, you know, differentiate between the grill section and the bumper section. And we want big steel bumpers that, you know, we could push logs with. Yeah.
0: Oh, by the way, I've been getting yelled at uh, because I mentioned tow hooks. Oh, yes. Do you want (laughs) to discuss this comment? Why not? Real quick. So one of the things we noticed in the tungsten, it's hard to see, if not impossible to see uh, tow hooks. However, they are something you can see on the Rebel. So I have a feeling they're there um because ram it does believe in them or oh, there's a provision for maybe opening ex- ex- a section ex- exactly or exactly or they're underneath and there's like you're just out of sight which would make sense for aerodynamics. dynamics um, and then someone said of the people will never use tow hooks. And, you know, I'm going to call BS on that. Now, I've had three pickup trucks in my life. I'm not counting the tiny thing I have right now, really, as a pickup truck. Uh, Although I have technically used um, the rear as a tow hook. It's a long story. Santa Cruz? Yeah, Santa Cruz. Um, And I've helped people pull out of snow more than once in some of the trucks that we've received, including, remember that yellow Nissan Titan we had? Yes, yes, which had tow hooks, by the way. It certainly did, and they were great. And I was able to pull somebody out of the snow with that. Yes. Uh, I've used them for camping. I've used them off-road several times. Guys, if you actually do off-roading, having tow hooks is a really good way to get you out of a sticky situation or get other people out of a sticky situation. So when people say... Nobody oh. ever uses a tow hook. You know, there was a reason why they were put there in the first place, and that's for hardworking people, not the ones who go back and forth and use them as a daily driver and never take them off-road and never do anything hard with them. But those people who really use a pickup, please let me know if you're out there and in yeah, the comment and below and or, whether or not you actually use them. And then tell me
2: how do you well, use them. Yeah, how? Yeah. Yeah. For example, I, I've... You, uh, <laughs> pulling a camp- boat, right?
0: Didn't you pull a boat out of the water using some? no I've seen other people do that no
2: I I never got in trouble at the boat ramp like some others because you know like some others Uh, but uh, I set up a hammock uh, in the campsite using the tow hooks you know Mm. to mount you know the straps on the hammock um, and also pulling people out of snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I've seen, I didn't haven't done it, but I've seen a canoe on top of a truck. And, and they use that tied- as a tie-down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why that's,
0: yeah, Well, that's they're there for utility. They're there for a reason. And having something that you can secure to the frame of a vehicle, even if you only use it once in the lifetime of the vehicle, that is better than not being able to use it at all and just go, well, I guess I'll tie it off to the axle in the front. Yeah, that's not going to work. So for those of you out there who doubt... The the logic of having tow hooks, sorry, I can't help you. You, Go seek help. Uh, For those of you who have actually used them and agree with me, please let me know in the comments below. So basically I'm saying everybody who disagrees with me, don't don't comment. I'm kidding. You can comment as well. But in reality – No, we love
2: constructive feedback. We we really do. Yeah. Um,
0: But in reality, I think this whole thing started because uh, the Toyota Tundra didn't have them. When they and, know, we, made and out we made of it. a big deal yeah. out of it, we made a big deal out of it, and you know Toyota was very quick to say you know their reasons why, some of which I agreed with and some of which I disagreed with. That's kind of the point of this whole thing, but for those of you out there who think absolutely no, 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 we we would never use a tow hook, buy a car, seriously, buy a car. I don't know, mm-hmm. it, you know, the the whole thing about a truck is its utility. It's tough. You could do things with it. You can help people with it. I actually knew somebody whose life was technically saved with a tow hook. No way. Yeah, yeah, because uh, – uh, um, uh, not Red Cone, um, but right by Red Cone, there's this, like – there's an entrance area, right? And then there's, like, a bit of a cliff. And this guy in a Jeep pulled off. For some reason, he went down, and then he couldn't come back up, and he and he dug himself in.
2: You're talking about, like, a side of a mountain, It's basically. It's a
0: side of a mountain, but it's, like, the entrance area near okay. Red Cone. Okay, okay. And he just c- completely got himself in there. And as I was pulling up – this is five, six years ago – he was being pulled out by a pickup truck who, yes, hooked him up. Didn't have a winch, but hooked him up with a strap and was pulling him out. This dude, I didn't realize that he was – he did not want to – he was terrified. He did not want to get out of his Jeep. And he was right on the side. If it weren't for a couple rocks, he would have been down yeah. a 1,000 feet yeah. easily. So they – There pulled. you go. I'm just saying. Yeah. There's a reason for so. having him on the truck. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Sorry. Uh, my rant is okay. over. Okay. Done. Back to Ram. Uh, uh... <laughs> So using, um, think about utility, I did notice one thing. So they did increase the size of their, some of their screens. So now one of their the center vertical screens is actually 14 and a half inches versus 12. Yeah. But if you look carefully, um, the brake controller is in the center console and it's a physical button, you know, a squeeze button that you can, um, in an emergency, activate trailer brakes.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they have it there.
2: But the gain is actually a digital button. Screen. Really? So in order to control and get to control the gain on the trailer brake controller, you know, zero means no trailer brakes. Right. Ten means maximum, maximum. trailer brakes. So we usually run between like four and seven. Yeah, it really depending depends on, on the load. load. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if there's an issue with your screen down the line, you may lose that ability. And I'm not in love with this uh, okay. design. Well,
0: we'll have to witness this in person to see how this works. And maybe there's a default that it falls to five. And I think
2: those Digital buttons actually always stay there, which is important because there's a section of the screen that's like a menu Uh that always stays there no matter which screen you're using. Mm -hmm. So at least that's a good thing. But what if the screen malfunctions? Which you have... Which I've experienced once.
0: Exactly. And wh- some. this is the problem with these integrated systems is that if you have it all on a screen and the screen itself malfunctions, you're screwed because there's no backup. So that is one thing. There's another thing that we should mention is that it's the passenger gets their own screen as well as, I believe, an option. Yes. Um, and it's cool for the passenger because they'll be – it's the first time they did it on a, a pickup truck, I believe. Um, and they'll be able to use that for entertainment, infotainment, nav- navigation, and a few other things as well. So – that's kind of cool because, you know, people get bored. I mean, believe me, I ride with these guys all the time. I rarely drive when we do long distance nowadays. And so being able to play with the tiny screen in front of me, that's eh, better than sucking up all the power on my phone. So let's continue, though, because we're now talking about the high output. No. this is the rev. Oh, this is the rev. Yeah, I was seeing these numbers. These numbers are insane. Check this out.
2: Yeah. So switching gears a little bit. So we're, we've left the RAM charger, wrench extender. We've left the ICE internal combustion, Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the REV, which Mm. is the battery-only with electric motors. Um, And the styling is different. So I wanted to point this out first that the RAM charger and the internal combustion RAMs have very similar headlights and very similar designs.
0: They're not identical. They're similar.
2: Yeah. But this REV version has kind of... Oh, by the way, it has a frunk. Yes. It has a line that for the frunk that would open up. Um, well, the concept did, so yeah. it's easy so I'm to assuming, assume. I'm assuming yeah. this one, too. Um, and they're going to have at least two battery options at first. And I went to uh, remref.com mm-hmm. to verify this. Um, so the standard battery is already huge. Yeah. 168 kilowatt hours. So this is more than an extended battery in the current Lightning. Yes. This is more than the Rivian. At least the Max Pack on the new Rivian might be similar to this. Mm-hmm. But this is their standard. One That's their standard that, one that they're starting with. Yeah, and they're quoting 350 miles of range. Yeah, which is not great. It's, but maybe they're just sandbagging a little bit. Maybe they're hedging their bets here. Or, or they're
0: they're maybe they're dead on because we've noticed that with other uh, EVs where they say a maximum range, we've rarely been able to get close to that.
1: Well, Actually, it depends
2: on the brand. It depends on the brand. Like the Tesla, we never see uh, reported range. No. <laughs> no. Uh, That's what I was In uh, the new Silverado EV, mm-hmm. when I did some testing, I actually saw a little bit more than 450 miles they promised.
0: Didn't we hit with the Lightnings? We were we kind of had a mixed bag, though.
2: Yeah, the Lightning almost never saw the promised 300. Mm-hmm. That we wanted to see. Right. Uh, and then, of course, after we added alternating tires, forget, <laughs> forget it. about but, it. Yeah. But
0: it's not fair to judge it on that. So what about the bigger battery? This thing's huge.
2: 229 kilowatt hours. <laughs> so we thought, you and I thought, that the that the Hummer battery was big <laughs> at 212. Yeah. Uh, this is more. This is like, I don't know, about 17 more kilowatt hours. This is going to
0: be a 9,500-pound vehicle. Uh,
2: We don't know. They don't have specifications. No, but I'm just
0: basing this on what I already know, but the Chevy Silverado EV and the uh, Hummer EV, with those big batteries that they have, those things are at or over 9,000 pounds or pretty damn close to it. Yeah, the Silverado
2: work truck with the largest battery, 212, uh, weighed 8,600 pounds already. Already. And this is a little bit more Exactly. So this is uh, is a big... uh, uh, Although... In their presentation, the CEO said that, you know, they're one of the lighter ones. So maybe they're using some aluminum and some other components to try to decrease the weight. It is possible. We'll and, have to see.
0: And we honestly don't know the chemical makeup of these batteries. They could be using something, brand new that we're not aware of, and they're just in the process of testing it. We know they're testing them. So that that is all out there up in the ether. We'll find out in, in a later date, but not that much later. I think we're going to find out sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, and the large battery for the REV uh, RAM is um, they listed 500 miles of range. Yeah, that's more like it. And that's really, I would say, so here's my thing. For the, just the battery, we're not talking about range extending, but just the battery pickup trucks. When I was in the Silverado EV, I drove it for about a week, and I wasn't worried about charging. For the first time ever in an electric pickup, um, I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. I, I, it seemed like I always had a little bit of range left. So I think when you're approaching that 450 or 500 miles of range in the real world, I'm not talking about towing. I'm just talking about commuting. Just general, general driving. I got you. I, I, I think as I'm already at ease. hmm so those are great numbers. So
0: you think that there's sort of a magic number to get to with the truck, at least, where it's yeah. like, okay, everything's all right. I'm not, the range anxiety's kind of gone.
2: Yeah. And then you could charge it up slowly at home if you want. So or what does this char- one charge at? You know, I couldn't find that information mm. right now. So the RAM, the RAM charger, the range extended one, they listed that a charge speed, DC fast charging of 145 kilowatt, which is actually slowish. Yeah, but not it, it's good. not
0: a very big battery, and it's also... And also, they have a generator. Right. So, I would imagine... That charges overnight, I would think. So, no problem there. I think th- this one, they have to have it charging faster. For a battery that size, yeah. it's got to it.
2: Yeah, like the Chevy is at 350. Mm-hmm, 350 kilowatts. I
0: think that's class leading. Yeah, yeah. Current,
2: currently it is. Mm. Um, even the... Um, a lot of the Teslas are letting that the Cybertruck doesn't exist yet. They haven't even we don't showed even, it yet. Yeah, we don't even so, know. So, so we'll have to wait and see what the Cybertruck brings. Right. Um, but the Rivian charges at about two ten. Mm-hmm. So three fifty is currently the gold standard that you have to meet. At yeah,
0: least. and you know, once again, just as a disclaimer, especially with right now all the flack that yeah, EVs are getting, we know that it has to do with the charger that you're going to. Uh, even weather conditions can play into that, and. Even if it's charging, you know, if a maximum of 350, it may never get there. It may charge at a much slower rate. We know that as well. So with all that in mind, keep in mind that when you have a fast charger that's capable of high numbers, usually there's a curve. And if you're getting the optimum curve, then you can charge these things super fast. You just have to have everything lined up and all the stars to be in the right place and to make sure that you're, you know, facing east every time. I don't know, something like that.
2: It depends, of course, and and there's not really infrastructure for DC fast charging with a trailer. Right. I mean, most stations, I know there is onesies, twosies, you know, here and there, but most stations you have to either pull in or back into, and... That you can't do that with a trailer. Actually,
0: there's some good news about that. Recently, there's been a lot of money, I think over $9 billion that's being combined and spent by various automakers, including Honda, where they are they see this as a problem. And in Europe, and I believe in Asia, they have a lot of charging stations where you can pull straight in and either the the, the connection hose is hanging above you and you just plug it in wherever, mm-hmm. or it's... Where you could pull through and then the hose is long enough to reach either side of the vehicle. So just in case you're not able to get on one side. And that is ideal for a trailer. So if we start building those and they say they're going to, and 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 mm-hmm. even have roofs too. We're talking about roofs yes. in the future. But that's a whole different story. It's and, a different podcast.
2: And I know uh, GM is also dumping some money into this too. Oh, yeah. And there's like coalitions, you know, several manufacturers working together. And I saw a picture of a flying J truck stop. With an OTM charging system, with canopies and pull throughs. Yep. So maybe it's coming. <laughs> I think it so. is. We're we're still at the crawling
0: stage of electrification. I want to go back though to what I'm most excited about, uh, and that is of course the generator. It's it's I call it a generator because that's exactly what it is. Range extender, if you want to call it that, and that is what we're we, looking we, at. We right also here. have a
2: picture of it here. Yeah,
0: it is to. This solves so many questions, right? Because um, many of you have been like, well, why don't we just have more hybrids? And I would agree with you. Hybrids have been – it's a proven technology. Andre, did you have any problems with your hybrid no, powertrain?
2: No, never. The, the powertrain was flawless. Yes.
0: Really. And I've heard good things about it through many other people. Uh,
2: caveat. Um, so the Ford F-150 hybrid did have a couple hiccups where it transitions power from electric to gas. Uh-huh. It's not as smooth as sometimes. Not always. Toyota did a better job here. Their hybrid is always smooth. Yeah. So, but still, there were no breakdowns, no failures. Right. Now, um, this system
0: compared to those is completely different. Now, first of all, I know you're saying longevity. What about servicing this vehicle? How expensive it's going to be to service a vehicle with not one but two different types of motors? Well, or an engine and a motor. Well, here's the good news. I can tell you this, Mm. because I did talk to somebody who was talking about range extending with other vehicles, including the i3, something you own. Yes. The good news is these range extenders, they're not under heavy stress because they're not powering a vehicle. They don't have to worry about clinking into a heavy-duty transmission and forcing a vehicle to move. That type of stress is eliminated, and all they're doing is they're spinning. Essentially, there's a free wheel there that's being powered. Think of it as a generator that's basically spinning that it's just throwing into you know, power into. So its RPM is kept relatively low, and at the same time, the amount of stress that's actually being put on the gas engine is minimal by comparison. As such, in theory, it should have a much longer shelf life. So keep that in mind.
2: Yes. And I have experience with this because, well, TFL purchased the BMW i3 range extender Mm -hmm. like three years ago. And then after the studio was done filming it, I purchased it from the company. That's right. So now my wife uses it to commute. She loves the thing. She's put on, gosh, it now has 65,000 miles. I think we bought it with like Thirty-five. Mm-hmm. So over the last year and a half, she put a lot of miles on this yeah, little Yeah, about 30. Yeah. Wow. So she drives it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an, one issue, and it was related to the wrecks mm-hmm. uh, in the BMWs because it's so tiny. Uh, the whole car is tiny. It's essentially a scooter it's a engine. Two do, it's a two-cylinder motorcycle engine. Motorcycle like engine. Like a pretty small one. Yeah. I think it's 600cc, which is That's actually sport. not that tiny it, it, I mean, for a motorcycle. Depends on your perspective. But it's tiny in a truck sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's been working really, really well. But we we had one problem where it was like misfiring. Mm. And I think what happened was, first of all, the fuel was getting old. So it wasn't being because used. Because
0: it's just sitting there and because yes. you're running it as a battery electric vehicle.
2: Uh, mostly, yeah, yeah. Because my wife's commute is about 50 miles a day. The car has about 75 miles of range. So she was not needing that range extender constantly. Right. So you have to keep that in mind. So one of our commenters already commented and said, you should probably not use ethanol fuels to power this, you know, ethanol-free fuels, because they last a little bit longer. mm mm-hmm. um, just for fuel quality, right? That makes
0: total sense. There's also like Stabil or sta- uh, yes. or Seafoam, some other yeah. things that, that can actually go into helping your fuel system. However, I can tell you this, uh, there are other vehicles that have been out there for a long time that have a similar type of system, that being the Chevy Bolt Sorry, volt. I say the the volt. Volt. I should know this because my brothers own one. (laughs) Um, And they, what happens is it goes through a cycle. It will actually suck up gas even if you're not using the gas engine. And its whole purpose is to keep everything lubricated and also to keep things swirling around so the gas doesn't get old or the engine doesn't have any issues firing up and making itself work. Um, I have a feeling that they have similar type of tech going
2: on here. And how about this? Let's go to an interview. Uh, I'm going to do an interview about the system and we can add it to this podcast Okay. and and then do other interviews in future podcasts. How about that? That sounds like a Uh, great idea. Because there are a lot of questions. How can they control this generator? Is it always on? I mean, is it, how loud is it? We have many questions. How big is the fuel tank? Yes. Uh, So how about we go to that interview and also hopefully answer all those questions. All right. And now, Joe, thank you for joining me. Uh, Can you please introduce yourself uh, really briefly? Sure, Um, I'm the Ram Charger propulsion chief engineer. So anything that has to do with making the vehicle move, that's in my domain. So the Ram Charger is the name of the Ram 1500 truck that's coming online soon. um, And it's a range extended version of the electric truck. And we do have a few questions from our audience already from the previous debut video that we did. So I'm really thankful for your time. Thank you for, um, for coming on our podcast. Um, so um, where can we start? So we were looking at the chassis, right, the rolling chassis uh, Im- images. So can you kind of explain the orientation, I guess, of the, of the components there? Yeah, so... Um...
4: Either end of the vehicle is what we call electric drive module. Um, it's a, what we call a EDM. It's a three-in-one system. So the motor, power electronics, and gearbox are at either end of the vehicle. Um, they're very comparable units. The front has 250 kilowatts, and it's a 15-to-1 gear ratio. It's coaxial, which means the motor and the gearing are on the same axis as the wheels. On the rear, it's um, slightly less, 238 kilowatts, and it's an offset gearbox. So the, um, the motor and the, the gearing is on a different axis from each other. So um, in the rear of the vehicle, we have a device called an e-locker, which allows you to do all, uh, you know, basically off-road type thing. It's a locking differential in the front. We have a what we call wheel end disconnect, which, if you're operating off the rear's motor, um, you can go into a high efficiency mode where you don't you don't have the spin loss of the front gearing.
2: Makes, makes so that's sense. Either uh, end of the vehicle. Um, in the
4: center of the vehicle is the battery. It's a 92 kilowatt hour battery lithium ion, um, and uh, there's some our electronics associated with that, uh, as well as, you know, the, the charging system and what we call our DVCU or electric vehicle control unit, which is kind of the brains for the, the vehicle. And then we have the, um, what we call the genset or generator system uh, that, you know, provides onboard charging capability.
2: Gotcha. And also, you have packaging for the fuel tank for the generator as well. Yes, there's a 27 gallon fuel tank. Gotcha, cool. So um, so the first thing, so I guess the first question that some of our viewers had is the selection of the V6, which is a 3.6 liter, right? As the generator, um, did you guys consider other uh, power solutions for the generator, smaller displacement engines, uh, larger displacement engines? Why, why the V6, I guess?
4: yeah you know i think it was uh einstein that said um the best solution is the simplest one that works and uh in this case this was uh the simplest solution it worked it was it met uh, program needs in terms of power output um it's a fairly straightforward mature engine so that you know provide good value, and uh, it was well-matched with the generator that that we needed to provide. So that was all that went into the the system. You know, we could have picked something something else, but like I said, it was the simplest thing that worked, so that's what we
2: did. And it's mounted longitudinally as if it would, if this was not an electric pickup, right? Right, yeah. But but, Yeah, I I was discussing it with some colleagues, and it sounds like, so if you have the generator in the front of the vehicle and also the electric drive unit, right, uh, the module there, um, it seems like there's not a ton of space in there.
4: Yeah, we we did have to raise the engine above where it normally sits um, because we're essentially putting uh, two propulsion systems in. The front compartment of, of the system, or two power sources in the front compartment of the, um, the vehicle. So, yeah, it was tight, and that was one of the challenges on the program: is uh, you know, package the, the capability in the front compartment as well as you know, running you know, the exhaust system and some of the high voltage cables, um, you know, in a, in a way that didn't interfere with the battery. So we had you know, two major challenges from a packaging perspective and
2: that we Yeah, and also I was noticing the way that, because the generator still has an exhaust system, right? Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, that there isn't, you know, it's not, you um, it it has to meet um all emission standards so uh it's not like we get a pass because most of the time it operates you know as electric vehicle so we had to do considerable testing um you know we had to put appropriate loading in the callus um so that that we met you know the um, the emission standards that we're we're shooting for right now we haven't certified so we can't i guess provide too much information there but you know the, the quick takeaway is you know it's it's much like a conventional vehicle because in that regard because we have to meet um, the same standards as a, a conventional IC engine
2: would. yeah it makes sense and so now uh, we have a few questions from our audience about the operating modes right because not a lot of people are familiar with the range extended electric vehicles I mean there's some other passenger vehicles that came, uh, you know, before this, right? But in a very smaller packaging. So can you describe some operating modes and also like people were wondering, you know, can you, will you able to hear the V6 running sometimes or sometimes not? How does that work? Yeah, so let's talk about operating modes first. Um,
4: in normal operation, if you charge the, the vehicle from a wall unit, you can get, um, Approximately 145 miles of all electric range, and in normal driving, you know, you'll exhaust um, that battery energy first. It doesn't completely uh, exhaust the battery energy. We go down to what we call a charge sustaining point, and then in that sense, it would somewhat operate like a hybrid where you try to maintain that, that charge point and then so if you're under light load you might drive electrically um if you're on heavier load you know the gasoline engine is going to come on um and then we have other drive modes that the driver can select that can provide extra power you know they're um, essentially electric plus modes we call them internally where if you select those we can even at a high rate of charge or high state of charge we can uh provide the full power of the battery and the full power of the generator uh, for, you know, maximum towing conditions or or zero to 60 times or or some of those more performance-oriented
2: maneuvers. Is it because, uh, I'm just trying to understand it, right? Is it because you're kind of maintaining that voltage, right? So the generator is working, it's pushing electricity to the battery, and the battery already has a state of charge, right? That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, the, the way to think about
4: it is there's, a uh, high voltage bus um, and the, the battery puts power on that bus the generator puts power on the bus and then the edns can pull power um, from that bus so it, it doesn't know that if the power came from the generator or if it came from the, the battery that that's probably
2: a good way to think about it All right so if you do want that you know maximum towing let's say up a mountain right that's the mode you're talking about or acceleration mode right okay and then yes. and then so, Can you tell it, I just want to be all electric, right, or save electricity for later?
4: Yeah, we do have, you know, modes like that. There's a charge save mode. Um, You know, forward-looking with this vehicle, we don't have this in the U.S. today, but some of um, our cities in Europe have what they call all-electric centers. And so, you know, if you're going to encounter that, you'll need to... um, you know hit the charge save mode so you can drive in that region all electric conversely we have like a charge hold mode um i'm sorry we have an all electric mode where you know you can force operation you know to use up the electricity first
2: okay yeah so like let's say your battery you're leaving your home you're commuting for the day and your battery is fully charged you know there is really no need to turn the generator on at that at that point right
4: yes yeah and we've seen, you know, done some surveys some um analysis and you know most of the people you know drive in the area of 60 to 70 miles round trip so you know with our range of 140 miles we we think we can more than cover um you know people with all electrically from a commute perspective
2: yeah, it makes sense. And then, of course, you have uh, the number you communicated. I believe as as the for this pickup truck is six hundred and ninety miles of total driving range, right? Yes. A- and that's the full battery and the full tank of fuel. Yes. Okay. So that's like for a road trip or something like like this. You know, some some longer travel. Yeah. Yeah. We. Um, you know,
4: when you look at what six hundred and ninety miles can do, it, it can get you from. Detroit area to uh, Kansas
2: City, so that's, that's pretty pretty cool to do that in you know one shot like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, uh, can you describe a little bit like, you know, let's say the generator is on and you're driving, um, will the driver or a passenger be able to pick that up, or is it kind of seamless? I mean, how does that work as far as sound level or, I don't know, any vibration or so forth?
4: Yeah, you know, we're, we're working very hard to make that transparent to the the driver the The engine itself is, is very quiet um I, I drive one in you know one of the vehicles i have and it's um you know maybe i play the radio too loud but it's not very noticeable um same with mvh the the, the engine has very good noise characteristics you know we're working very hard on the edms to make those quiet so you know and, and then we're working to 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 make it seamless uh we'll see if you know It's when these vehicles get out there if uh, you know the very observant drivers can perceive it we hope not but uh, we'll we'll see
2: well for example um, i have an example uh in my household my wife um, and i sometimes drive a bmw i3 with a range extender and i know this totally different design totally different vehicle but um, once in a while, I could hear the engine come on, which is the generator, um, and it's not loud at all. I mean, but I can kind of tell it's running. Um, in this case, in the RAM um, Ram charger, is the generator, will it change its RPM? I mean, depending on the power need, or is it designed to run at like a consistent RPM?
4: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think that some of the vehicles out there, um, you know, some of the input split hybrids even, You know they were they set up their engines to run at the most efficient point and typically that's low speed high load and that's very noisy it it tends to sound very loaded from an engine perspective um you know we didn't do that we're we're doing what we call pedal follower so that the engine speed is intuitive with um or the generator speed is intuitive with the accelerator pedal so it, it the driver
2: would perceive a more natural experience. I gotcha. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, obviously it's kind of difficult to understand because I mean, I haven't been in this vehicle or driven it. So, but I'm getting a really good picture. So I really appreciate that. Sure. Um, there's also another question about, uh, let's say, you're commuting, like you said. You know the surveys are saying that 70 miles per day is what people are doing, and they're charging at home. Uh, uh, what if the generator doesn't come on for like a day or a week? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. You know, how do you kind of maintain that, or uh, or guess? Does it matter like what octane level you're uh, you're putting into this uh, fuel? Yeah.
4: We're- we're regular fuel rated at least this point, so uh, there is no need for, for premium. I think what you're alluding to is, you know, if the person, you know, only commutes, you know, short distance, you know, they could have uh, a tank of gas there for a long period of time. And, you know, we've seen that even with plugins on some limited range vehicles, some of our competitors, and what we've developed is... Um, both an engine oil life monitor and a a fuel life monitor. So, you know, we know how often, you know, the engine is running. You know, we know that, you know, after a certain period of time, depending on a certain cycle, you, you know, you need to turn on the engine to burn water out of the fuel, burn up water out of the oil. So we've taken great pains on that, both looking at our internal data and data from our
2: competitors. Yeah, so just kind of making the whole system, you know, ready for use, right? And kind of yeah. as, as well-maintained as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, of course, the, um, I mean, obviously all drive capability, you know, you mentioned the differential lock, which is a physical mechanical locker, correct?
4: Yeah, we, we call it an
2: e-locker. It's, okay. It's much yeah. mechanical. So combination, mechanical, and has controls with it. And then in the front, is there some sort of like a traction management or stability management system as well?
4: Yeah, yeah, I mentioned uh, the EVCU, or electric vehicle control unit, that's kind of the overall supervisory control or brains behind our propulsion system, but it works very closely. With the brake system to provide the typical traction control obviously it has to work with uh, the brake system on the regenerative braking control so you know the the features that are on a conventional um, vehicle from a chassis perspective chassis control perspective will be on this vehicle as well in addition to the regenerative braking
2: yeah makes sense and then um, final question i guess is about the charging capabilities from the plug. I mean, so I believe I saw on the spec sheet, uh, 145 DC fast charging, 145 kilowatt. Um, yes. But that's not, I mean, some other electric vehicles have higher charge rates. Uh, why did you guys select this rate? Is it because the battery is smaller or?
4: Yeah, so um, we, just to be clear, we can hook up to, 350 kilowatt DC fast chargers, so it's, it's from a capability perspective, you know, we can plug into those. Um, typically, charge rate is a function of voltage, uh, so the higher charge rates, you'll see vehicles with um, 800 volts or higher. Our battery is, is 400 volts. You know, there's a couple of reasons we, we did that. One is, is, is value. We feel there's more value uh, in the 400 volt. Um, part of the component area. The other thing is charger availability. There's just way more chargers available with 400 volts than there are, you know, the 800, 1200, that that type of thing. So, um, and keep in mind with the 92 kilowatt hour battery, that the charge time, you know, is as extensive as a, you know, vehicle with a bigger battery. Yeah, well, we can we, we can add 50 miles and. Ten minutes, so we we feel pretty good about uh, how we balance the different requirements
2: for the system. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because I mean, if you were all electric, you know, that DC top speed would be more important, right? But 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 you also have this generator system, so that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, well, I think we covered most of it. I mean, is there some elements that that we did not discuss? Y- yeah. You- probably saw in the, the press release we're
4: pretty proud of the Vita X features we call them um, you know we have two levels of power panel which is the Vita L Vita load perspective we have the 3.6 base version and then a 7.2 kilowatt version and the 7.2 kilowatt version has a 240 twist lock plug so people on job sites can run the circular saws and, and that thing so that's a pretty good feature we have um, the V2V feature and that we kind of consider that our high voltage jump start. so we can see where people who provide um, roadside service, we could see this being a good vehicle for them for, you know, the electric vehicles that don't have as much range as our vehicle. You need to come along and give them, you know, um, some electrons to get them to the next charging station we think that would be a good feature and then we have the Vita home feature which is you know in Michigan we get a lot of ice storms in the spring and power goes out for a couple of days and every, you can hear the, the gasoline generators humming up and down your street this way you can you know use what's in your garage already you don't need to mess with filling up that portable generator so so we think that's a pretty good feature too. So. That's the only other thing I would add
2: is we we're pretty proud of the VDOTS features on this vehicle. Yeah, uh, and if you have like a level two charger in your house, um, are, are you also gonna s- sell or supply um, this bidirectional feature or is that something like that's uh, based on the house owner or whoever is working on that system? Yeah, I think what you're referring to is um, Vehicle to grid. Yeah. Um, that's a future enhancement
4: um, that we're working on, but that won't be part of the launch. But, like, the, but the main re- sorry, the, the main reason for that is the standards for the vehicle to grid are not stabilized yet. So, we're, we're waiting until those standards stabilize and then we'll add that capability um, to
2: our vehicles. But you're saying, but that plug in the bed, you know, the 7.2 kilowatt, for example. It, it will allow you to hook up as if it was a generator, right? So if you had the provision in your house, you could already use it as a generator for your house. Yeah, yeah you actually go through the charge port. So, um,
4: to, you know, the, the connector that would come from your EVSE from your house, you would basically have that type of connector that fits into your charge port. And then you'd have to have you know the appropriate home unit the isolator system that can isolate uh you know the, you from the grid so that it doesn't back feed yeah. the grid in case of you know the power being out and the linesmen are working on the lines
2: or whatever so
4: yeah, yeah that, we have that capability
2: sounds good well thank you for your time joe um i learned quite a bit so and i can't wait to get in uh in the new truck all right so i think we talked about a lot of things in the new RAM. Uh, we, I also want to address a couple more comments here from Patreon. Yes, fire away. But the biggest question about RAM that we don't answer right now is the price. Um, no idea. We, They haven't published the pricing yet. The internal combustion RAM trucks uh, will go on sale in the first quarter of 2024. Mm-hmm. The high output version and also the RHO, the special... High-performance truck that may or may not have TRX suspension, I have no idea, Uh, comes in Q3, Mm -hmm. so down the line of 2024. Right. The rev truck, supposed to be Q4, so end of 2024. And the range extender is supposed to be early 2025. The Ram charger comes in early 2025. So we still have some time. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I, actually,
0: that, that makes sense. I mean, they, spacing it out makes sense, obviously. And we're talking about a very new set of vehicles. Once again, I don't really consider this a refresh. I would go a step beyond that and say that they're pretty damn close to being all new or mostly all new.
2: Well, this powertrain is all new. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, REV and the RAM charger frame is on you because they have to widen it.
0: Well, it's an STLA frame. So it's yeah, a complete, it's a whole new frame. Whole new frame, yeah. right.
2: So even though the body looks the same or similar, uh, well, it's, it's still a it's still They've taken a page from Ford, the way
0: Ford did the Lightning and also their other vehicles. It's basically looks the same. And I think that makes a lot of sense because then you have a lot of the interior components, electronics and whatnot, that it
2: can all be the same instead of having to reinvent the truck, right? But also you have older customers that used to buy rams in the past. Right. They don't have to get used to a new body style. They can actually walk in and have the common body style, right? Yeah.
0: And I got to be honest with you. Once again, it's my, my only issue so far with what I've seen is that I'm just not a huge fan of the new front end styling. It looks okay on the
2: Rebel. And I'm curious to your perspective
0: as well, because I know this is completely subjective. So let's go into these questions.
2: Just really quick. Um, So Saeed al Musawi, sorry, Saeed. He had a comment about the Silverado EV testing we did um, a few weeks ago. Uh Um, Saeed was wondering, um, it has air curtains, so little inlets on the front bumper that direct air over the rear uh, front tires. Mm -hmm. Um, He's wondering how effective that is. This is really hard to test <laughs> uh, because it's probably percentage points right mm-hmm. like one percent here two percent there
0: 0.3 percent yeah thing. so
2: it's really hard to test but the reason why manufacturers do this is because they do a lot of wind tunnel testing, a lot of calculations right and it's also for stability. So when, the, when you can control the air on the side of your vehicle and make it a little bit tighter, hugging the vehicle, it has more stability at speed. So. As a matter of
0: fact, uh, Toyota is well known for had their vortex generators. And if you look very carefully at like, their taillights or even some of their body components in some of their vehicles, you'll see that there's these little mini wings that are sprouting in unusual places. And the whole purpose of those is actually to keep the vehicle stable at speed. And then, in addition, other vehicles have a very large chin spoiler or some other thing. All of that's for aerodynamics because even a small percentage helps them for their CAFE numbers and all the requirements that they're doing. Because, frankly speaking, if they could get away with building a brick and putting it on the road, they would. But they have to keep things slippery in order to maintain efficiency.
2: Speaking of bricks on the road, um, there's a comment and question from Jonathan Free on patreon.com slash tflcar. Jonathan says... Uh, could you do a podcast related to vans or minivans, so specifically dedicated to? Hell them. yeah, I would love to. Um, so here's a, uh, what he would like to see: some discussion about Pacifica and Sprinter. Actually, his Sprinter is not quite in the same category. It's in as a completely Sienna. different.
0: Get- that has a frame and it's a truck uh, and it's big. Yeah. Uh,
2: also, ID Buzz or Canoe. Interesting. Okay. Also, will there be a US Bujanka or Delica? Uh, well, no. no, we have one Buhanka that just not in really. in the
0: United States, there might be two, maybe, <laughs> maybe four. Um, I don't know. that's that it. Many?
2: Um, so yeah, we, we should we could discuss this. Yeah. this could be a
0: couple of years ago, we did a band
2: podcast. This could be either a car or a truck, it kind of. It kind of spans the difference?
0: Yeah. Um, Something tells me that Roman would be not hip to vans. He doesn't like vans. So maybe you and I can do it. Maybe. Yeah, so look forward to that in the future. Uh, We expect to hear some more about various vans in the very near future. That's including the ID Buzz, but that's also including some other internal combustion vans. Rumor has it that some uh, automakers are considering going back to the days of having these small little crossover vans I like to call them crossover vans
2: and also Kia is in this space as well mm-hmm. they have their minivan as well yeah their carnival um, so there's more here
0: yeah there there is more so stay tuned for that uh, is there that, anything that's else it.
2: that's it okay so there you have it so this this show is is in the books mm-hmm. thank you for staying with us this is our show 201
0: 201, yeah. 201. Put it up there, my so, friend. Bam. All right. Far out. So, so once yeah. again, we want to hear your comments. We try to read as many as we can. Please put them down below. Keep it clean. Have a wonderful week, guys. <laughs> okay. We'll see you next time.
4: Thanks.